Hello, everyone. Welcome back to 2020 Psych. I'm one of your hosts, Claire Kay, and today I'm joined by none other than my father. We want to thank everyone for tuning in every week and listening and hearing our thoughts on the various topics we've covered so far. If you want to go ahead and follow us on Instagram at 2020 Psych Podcast, go ahead, give us a follow and let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you want to hear, if there's a topic that you would like us to go more in depth about or have any more questions, feel free to send us a message on there. Today we're going to be talking about MDMA or otherwise known as Molly. But before we get into it, I'm going to go ahead and let my dad introduce himself. Hello, my name is Dr. Hernandez and I'm a psychiatrist. So dad, there's a lot to cover today that I want to ask you and dive into. Um, I want to first talk about maybe the, a little brief history about MDMA. From what I um, understand, it was first synthesized in 1912. There was some research done in the 1970s, and then in 1985, the, gov the federal government made it a Schedule One drug. Well, that's true. As you point out, in 1912, it was actually developed as an appetite suppressant, and because it had some sort of uh, enhancing sensory modality types of qualities to it, it was incorporated in some forms of psychotherapy from 1970 to 1985 up until, as you point out, it was uh, put, used as, it was actually pointed out to be a Schedule I uh, drug, which are, which is a classification given to drugs that do, are not known to have any medical use. So what exactly, do, you mentioned earlier um, that it was first developed as an appetite suppressant. Um, so what exactly is it doing chemically to the brain? Because from what I understand, there's serotonin and oxytocin, oxytocin that is like being overproduced. Well, it actually releases three neurotransmitters, including serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine. And so what exactly does that do to the brain and to the body? What happens in that experience for someone who's taking this for the first time? Well, the benefits or the the reasons people use uh, ecstasy or, or molly is because it increases physical stamina. It It's supposed to have enhanced sensory perception and increased emotional warmth and empathy towards others. That's Those are the main uh, selling points of, of ecstasy, if you will. So what's the difference between Molly and ecstasy? Because um, Molly is typically marketed as like the safer form of ecstasy. Is that like just bogus? MDNA is known at in different names. Molly is one of them. Ecstasy is another one. And another one is off. All, they also call it XTC. So that it's really the same molecule. Uh, let's dive into what you were talking about earlier, the psychotherapy aspect of MDMA, because I was actually looking at a study they just recently did in 2017, but it was privately funded. They got approval by the FDA um, to go to trial. 
and there was actually positive results for people that suffered from PTSD, from severe PTSD, um, when given MD pure MDMA in a controlled setting with two trained psychotherapists. Um, have you heard anything about that, or what do you know about psychotherapy and MDMA? Well, as you point out, it has been used somewhat experimentally. However, most people aren't using it in that setting, as you know, and I think that's what we want to focus on. Uh, there was a paper written in 2014 by uh, somebody by the name of Lauren Gorsi, who at that time was a medical student at NYU. Uh, Dr. Gorsi now is, uh, and Dr. Gorsi, let me just say, wrote a very interesting article called what physicians should know about MDNA. And I think that if it's worthwhile for physicians to know about it, it's also very worthwhile for people that are actually using it. And the people that tend to use this are young people, uh, many high school students. There was a survey in 2010 that indicated that approximately 1 million high school students in the past month had used it. So as you know, a lot of college kids are using it as well. So it's important to talk about what this does to a person, uh, what it does to their feelings and their cognition and to their bodies. It's, I think it's a fascinating drug because it does a lot of things and it does a lot of bad, really, really bad things. You're definitely right when you mention that college students are using this. I had a few friends in college that used MDMA. Um, no one particularly close to me, but one thing I noticed I would love to get your opinion on is there were some people in college who would could take MDMA every weekend. Um, what are the long-term and short-term effects of prolonged usage of MDMA? Well, it depends because if you're one of those unfortunate people that has a, a, a deadly side effect, you obviously won't be having any long-term side effects. and. The CDC reports that 10% of Americans are on an SSRI, which is a, an antidepressant that releases serotonin. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, ecstasy causes a release of serotonin. So when you have an excess amount of serotonin, it can cause something called the, uh, the serotonin syndrome usually ecstasy will cause a mild form of this which essentially elevates your heart rate increases your your body heat and it agitates you however the studies have shown that depending on the situation that you're in and it's usually in a in the rave setting where there's a lot of people uh, it's a close setting it's very warm people are dancing and this can become potentially uh, it, it can go quickly from a mild serotonin syndrome to a severe serotonin syndrome, which can be, uh, in some cases, uh, deadly. So uh, a lot of people have learned that if they're dehydrated, that they need to hydrate themselves before they're going to take ecstasy. So in some clubs in New York, for example, uh, they call them chill zones where uh, they would provide XTC users with uh, free water, free drinking water, which you may think is a good idea. However, uh, ecstasy also has an effect on depleting sodium in the body. So when you drink excessive amounts of water, 
it can cause uh, cerebral edema or your brain a swell and can kill you. So uh, again, it's a very uh, toxic drug and and that's another thing uh, that's sort of interesting about it too that they went they did a something a study called the ecstasy data project which they found out that 60 percent of what supposedly was ecstasy wasn't had no ecstasy in it at all there was other drugs uh, including uh, amphetamines even ketamine caffeine and Tylenol if you can believe that that was being sold as ecstasy so we can talk a little bit uh, about more about you know the uh, how wise it is to be buying uh, street drugs because you really don't know what you're getting that's interesting you bring up um, like buying street drugs and stuff because I think it was in the UK at festivals that where those settings it's particularly popular to like take E and MDMA and stuff they started implementing um, testing tents at the festival where you can go and get your drugs tested to see what exactly is in them and I think it's for free like they offer this for free in the UK um, and it breaks down okay this is what it is what's in it and then they'll just give them back to you or if you don't want it anymore they'll discard it for you well, I'm not surprised that they're doing that in the UK. There's, they seem to be so much more sophisticated than other parts. Uh, I don't, I've never heard of anything of that type being d done in the United States. I also want to draw back attention to what you were mentioning about the brain swelling and the come down effects of that. But I also want to bring to your attention the fact that in the settings that you are describing, most of the time, um, people aren't just on MDMA. It's a mixture of alcohol, cannabis, maybe cocaine, and then on top of that, MDMA. What does that do to the body? Well, it's overwhelming, obviously, when you have one toxic substance that's as bad as ecstasy is, and on top of that, you add uh, these other ones that you just mentioned. So the combination uh, can really have devastating emotional and physical effects. So it, it's just, to sum it up in just one word, it's just bad, really bad. Can we talk about chemically what happens after taking MDMA to the brain? Because I've had a few um, peers, friends that have taken MDMA that I are on antidepressants, for example, that are being treated for depression and what is that doing to some, first of all, what's that doing to a normal brain, but what is that doing to someone that also has, suffers from depression? Well, there has been a quote unquote, a hangover effect due to uh, ecstasy, which can last up to several days because as again, there's a depletion of uh, serotonin or epinephrine dopamine. And so this can last several days where patients are tired, uh, they're cranky, uh, they get anxious, and, and, and so these are some of the side effects. Some of the short-term side effects include being paranoid, anxious, depressed, pupil dilation, increased jaw tension, and teeth grinding, loss of appetite. Um, I've heard that at one point, uh, kids were being given pacifiers in clubs because of the teeth grinding.
So these are just some of the short-term side effects. And the long-term side effects, again, are, can, can include a, a hangover effect that'll, that'll last for several days. So what's interesting you mentioned the hangover effect is I, I find that people that are experiencing that post an MDMA trip or experience don't find it as a hangover. They find it as, oh, it's like post-concert depression. And they seek other uh, substances to kind of cope or recuperate from the come down. Well, it kind of sounds as though that's really an addiction where you're craving other things and you're sort of trying to keep stimulating that reward center in your brain to keep getting intoxicated, trying to keep getting a sense of euphoria. So it just, it's a downward spiraling effect, I think. And it's, it's the addiction, really. So I have two questions for you. One, what are the long-lasting effects, do you think, down the road for teens that are taking MDMA on their brains? And also, do you think the propaganda used into scaring people into not doing drugs has actually like been detrimental to the war on drugs? Because it seems like it's it hasn't worked. Well, to answer the first question, the long-term side effects of ecstasy include, among others, cognitive impairment, memory issues, the ability to learn, the ability to focus. So it can really have a detrimental effect to your brain to keep you from learning things, from moving forward with your careers. So that can be devastating in and of itself. So when we talk about what are the treatment modalities that, that are used to treat addictions, well, the mainstay of treatment are 12-step programs. And in this day and age, they're going to be, for the most part, virtual. So if someone feels that they're uh, suffering from an addiction because it's impairing their ability to move forward with their lives in whatever sphere it may be, including uh, work, interpersonal, uh, career-wise, uh, then it's time to uh, look into a 12-step program. For those that know somebody who uh, care about somebody who they fear is going through uh, an addiction, uh, a disease, uh, Families Anonymous is a support group for them. Uh, so when they get help, it indirectly helps uh, their loved one who is addicted. So. Uh, these can't be overemphasized and overstated as to how useful, how important they are in recovery. Okay, but we're talking about teens that maybe their parents don't even know that they're taking Molly because their kids are going off saying they're sleeping over at a friend's house over the weekend to a music festival, taking Molly, coming back home, suddenly they're in a bad mood, depressed, down. Oh, I'm like what I'm concerned about is like you gave that statistic about how many high schoolers have taken MDMA. My issue is that we're not taught in school what exactly MDMA is, what the dangers of it could be. So like how do we what what should we do? Well, as you pointed out earlier, there are certain campaigns that may or may not be effective um, as you mentioned the war on drugs. But it's important still to talk about it. And I think that bringing awareness is first and foremost 
what we need to do as physicians, as clinicians, and as a society uh, to educate ourselves and one another about drug use and misuse uh, because we don't talk enough about it. So as parents, we need to suspect drug usage in our children when we see that there's a change in them, uh, in their attitude, in their drives, in their interest, in uh, the way they behave. Uh, and as parents, we should know our children better than anyone else. Of course, kids evolve over, over time, right? Uh, they go through different stages of development. And when teenagers uh, are, are changing, uh, and so it may be hard to pick up on what's normal versus what isn't uh, normal. But when you see severe mood changes and when you see that something just isn't right, you need to suspect it as a parent say, that, your, that, that your child is uh, abusing a drug. Uh, sometimes uh, we don't want to believe that, that that's the case, that we just think they're going through just the changes that occur in normally in development. But the truth of the matter is that we really need to focus on uh, our kids and how they're behaving and their changes in attitude, uh, especially if they're irritable, if they're losing interest in things that they normally love doing. So we need to be more attentive. We need to be, be suspect uh you know so and again as parents that, that may be a difficult thing to do let's kind of flip that to like now addressing the younger adults and at teens that are actually taking the substances um how have you had a patient ever before um that has like come into the unit because of a bad ecstasy experience well, I, I distinctly remember a young lady who had just graduated college who had been accepted into law school. And she was suffering from some anxiety symptoms. And uh, one of her coworkers told her, hey, you should take this, try this. And it turned out to be Molly. And after just one dose of that, she had severe cognitive impairment made her seem as though she was severely demented and so I'll never forget that and that during that same summer we had a, uh, another young lady who had been at a rave party with her mother and also had maybe not as bad uh, of a clinical presentation where she wasn't severely demented but she suffered significant memory loss and in, an, in, and an inability to learn, to learn new things so this this drug can have devastating consequences in the long term uh, and it's something that kids I just should stay away from because it's just to it's so toxic so you said it made her seem as if she had dementia what exactly is dementia for people that don't know well dementia is typically associated with, uh, it's a condition it's an irreversible uh, condition that affects uh, cognition, memory, ability to function. Uh, it occurs again typically in the elderly over 65. 5% of uh, adults over the, 60, over the age of 65 do become demented. And again, it, it also includes, among other, among other things, uh, loss of executive function, uh, an, an inability to make the right decisions, judgment is impaired, there's short-term memory uh, issues, and people uh, eventually uh, 
become so impaired by this condition that they have difficulties taking care of their activities of daily living, such as bathing, feeding themselves, showering, being able to make a phone call, balance your checkbook. So it's, it's, it's a very uh, incapacitating uh, syndrome. It's characterized again in old age. So irreversible, what you're basically saying is every time you pop a molly bought off the street, you're kind of gambling with your life. You know what, that's about right. Uh, you may get the right, you may actually get Molly when, you, you know, again, I just, as I alluded to earlier, when they did a study, 60% of what people thought was Molly was meth, it was combined with ketamine, it was combined with even Tylenol, it wasn't even Molly in and of itself, so you really have to be cautious with what you're buying because you may not be getting what you think you are. And that goes for everyone that just regular teens, college-aged people that think that, oh, this is fun, like I'm going to pop it with my friends in an elated setting and have this euphoria, out-of-body experience, it's serious, um, and that's it shouldn't be taken lightly, and especially for people that do suffer, are who are already predisposed to mental illness and mood disorders. Well, I think one of the things that we we're trying to do is to educate our audience that these that these substances are dangerous and you have to assume that they're dangerous don't think that it's going to be something that's going to go well because there's a lot of chances that it's that things are not going to go well when you indulge in these kind of uh, uh, drugs of, of abuse that things won't go well for you and this is this is the reality this is the truth uh, this is not something that we're fabricating. This is what the, the statistics are showing us, and uh, you shouldn't be a statistic uh, of this kind. Obviously, everything what has been said is there's truth in it, um, but I also think that there should be a push um, from mental health or physicians in general to implement this knowledge in curriculum in schools because we're not taught any of this in school we're not taught what effects drugs have on you what effects alcohol has on the body or thc or mdma and that lack of knowledge leaves too much space for oh well what if i just what if i just try it there's too it, it leads too much space for potential for harm well, we've emphasized this before, that education is of utmost importance. We need to know. We need to teach the kids. We need to teach one another what these substances of abuse do to us. And we have to open up this discussion. We have to make people aware of the damaging effects of these uh, drugs and substances are. So you're absolutely right. This should be taught at a very early age. That wraps up this week's discussion on MDMA. Thank you to everyone who listened to this week's episode and who continues to support us every week. We truly appreciate it. Go ahead and give us a follow on our Instagram at 2020 Psych Podcast for more updates and more content.